Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 204 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is an engineering leader focused on building performance, scalable and easy to use distributed applications. He has a background in web development, SVOD, ad tech and machine learning, as well as experience with mobile development and blockchain applications. He is currently director of engineering at Zip Recruiter where he's helping to build the world's first artificially intelligent marketplace. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, Eric Weinstein. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So Eric, um, I'm particularly interested in what you're up to right now. So you've recently taken on the role of Director of Engineering at Zip Recruiter. Could you perhaps tell us a little bit about that and what you're up to? Sure. So as Director of Engineering at Zip Recruiter, my role is to manage multiple teams on what you would think of as the employer side and the job seeker side of the platform. So helping to ensure that employers who use ZipRecruiter uh, have the features that they need to identify the best candidates and that candidates in turn, when they're on ZipRecruiter, find the jobs that are relevant to them and find their next great stop on their career. Is this something that's uh, new? Is it something you're actually working on that hasn't been launched yet? Let's see. I don't think there's anything I'm working on right now that hasn't been launched yet that I can talk about. But the uh, majority of the work that I'm doing now is around the existing platform. So Eric, can you share with us maybe a career tip that the audience don't know about and perhaps should? One that I find really valuable, I picked this up at DevOps Days, I think, five or six years ago. We were talking about our five-year plans and people started to go through and say, well, in six months, I'd like to do this. And then a year, I'd like to do that. And the facilitator said, well, think of it this way. Where would you like to be in five years? And then what would you need to have done in three years to be ready for that? And then two years, and then a year, and then six months. And just a small thing, like going backwards in time, was really clarifying for what goals are important, what order do I want to do these, accomplish these goals in, what are the sort of uh, milestones along that path? Uh, and was really clarifying for, oh, okay, if I want to be, say, a VP of engineering in five years, Here's what I've got to be doing by the end of the year to make sure I'm on track. Yeah. So really valuable for kind of putting the career trajectory aspect into to focus. And so how often do you revisit that? How often do you sort of revise those objectives and, and the end goal? Honestly, every few months, I would say every three to six months, I kind of sit down, take a look at, I have a spreadsheet and I go through and say, all right, you know, am I working on the things I'd like to be working on? Have I discovered something new and my goals have changed? How has my trajectory changed over the last quarter, the last half a year? Uh, generally, I, I try to time it with my company's review process, if they have one, which ZipRecruiter does. So kind of, you know, in the fall and in the spring or in the winter and in the summer, whenever that cadence is, that's when I like to sit down and go through my, my career goals. And do you find they will change over a period of time? So you may think of what it looks like maybe 12 months ago, maybe very different to what it looks like now. Absolutely. Yeah, it changes depending on where I am in terms of my employment, um, what my interests are. For example, there was a time where I was really interested in security to the point where I was considering it as a career. And so I had a bunch of potential certifications, you know, things to read, programs to participate in, people to talk to. Uh, and over time, I realized that while I really enjoy being security minded, I don't think security is the area I'm best suited for. 
So I, I realized that it was probably better for me to work on building web applications with a security mindset as opposed to being on a security team. Yes. Okay. So Eric, could you perhaps tell us about your worst IT career moments and what you learned from that experience? The worst one was probably, I was working at a company where we were pushing out products on a very fast cadence, uh, which involved a lot of things breaking, uh, a lot of long nights and weekends. One day I went into the office probably around nine or 10 in the morning on say Wednesday and left at seven or 8 a.m. on Thursday. So it really was close to 24 hours in the office. And it was it was a terrible idea. Things were constantly breaking. There was a lot of stress. While we technically got the, the launch out on time, it really did a lot of damage to morale. It did a lot of damage to the goodwill between employees and the company. And, and frankly, I think we, we put out not as good a product as we could have had we taken our time and not been sleep deprived and stressed as we <laughs> rapidly you know pushed hotfix after hotfix. That was probably the low point of my career. Sure. And in terms of how you work now, how does that differ? I firmly believe that most people don't have more than 40 to 50, maybe 55 hours a week in them of good work. I don't think people work well when they're sleep deprived. I don't think death marches are really justifiable. I believe in crunch time periodically when it's really getting over the line, but it has to be really judicious. You have to have a strong culture and a really well-gelled team for it to work. And I, I think what I've really taken away from that is, you know, working hard and working smart are different. And there's, I don't think, really generally justification for kind of working people to the bone. Yes, absolutely. So moving away from your worst moment, Eric, could you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? I would have to say it was when we launched the marketplace for AUX, uh, which was the company I ran, co-founded. Uh, and ran from the uh, end of 2017 until early 2019. And really, you know, putting together a, a product vision, iterating on, on an MVP, and then getting it out and sharing it with the world on time in terms of when we wanted to actually launch was, was hugely gratifying. And really being responsible for every part of that product and really, you know, the, the sort of buck stopped with, with me and my co-founder if, you know, we didn't launch on time or if we had a feature that we wanted and it didn't make it in. Uh, having that responsibility and and actually achieving that goal were hugely gratifying. So in terms of the team and the ethos around that, how did that work? Sure. I'm really proud of the fact that we did not work crazy hours. We were in the office maybe 40 to 50 hours a week. Uh, we did communicate on Slack occasionally, you know, nights and weekends, but we really tried hard to respect work-life balance and to work as a tight-knit, well-gelled team while we were all, to- all together. So I think Part of what was valuable there was the team was small. We had worked together before. We all knew how each other liked to communicate, to work. And we, I think, really benefited from having that that small team dynamic. Engineering organizations I've found that are really successful tend to have lots of highly cohesive, smaller teams than really big, uh, unwieldy teams. And I think that contributed a lot to our ability to put something really amazing together on a relatively small budget with few people. Yes, I think one of the things you picked up on there in particular was the fact that the dynamics within a small team, as, as you work more and more together, they become easier and, and potentially more efficient as well. Exactly. So Eric, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? Sure. I'm really excited by the role that machine learning and, and ML slash AI generally are shaping up to have in uh, IT. What I mean by that is the 
role that ML and AI have taken so far has been augmentative as opposed to you know a, a force of replacement. People are using machine learning tools to be better at sales, to be better at programming, to basically use it as a, a tool to make recommendations to them and to help them use their own intuition and experience effectively, as opposed to a fully you know autonomous surgeon that's going to replace some member of a medical staff or some machine pro, uh, process that's going to read x-ray films instead of a radiologist. So I'm, I'm really fascinated by the availability of those jobs in the marketplace, by the role that ML and AI are going to take over the next handful of years, and, and how that's going to change the landscape of, of writing software and, and, and building programs. I think it's going to be really fascinating. In terms of the technology that's changing, is there anything that particularly interests you or direction of programs or programming or development in general? Is there anything that particularly grabs you and you think that's really going to be interesting in the future? Real-time natural language processing, AR to the point where you sort of have like in your glasses or contact lenses, you're kind of walking down the street and, you know, you see someone, they're like, hey, you know, how's it going? And all of a sudden you get this little note. It's like, yeah, this is Steve. You met Steve at a party two years ago, like, <laughs> you know, um, yes. just I think really, you know, building tools that help people live richer lives, um, you know, both using those tools and then being able to work on them, I think is, is what really grabs me whether it's small things like I mentioned or larger scale things like, you know, uh, machine learning programs that uh, models that read x-ray films or, or drive cars. I think if we can figure these things out, uh, the future is, is very bright. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, i just taking your example further as presumably you potentially in the future, if you're wearing something like that, you could be walking down the street and you could actually identify everybody walking around almost with something popping up and telling you who they are. So yeah, there's so much potential, but you know, there's always that, doubt about the availability of data and data protection, all that sort of stuff. So that'll be interesting to see how that develops. Especially through the lens of, you know, GDPR, uh, CP Privacy Act, I think it's CPPA. But uh, I'm, I'm actually looking at my bedside table now, and I, I see a copy of Machine Ethics. And I think really one of the critical things that's going to come out of this hyper growth uh, in, in machine learning and artificial intelligence is we need to pay a ton of attention to not just the ethics involved in writing software, you know, thinking of things like the Volkswagen uh, emission scandal, but really what it means for a machine agent to act ethically. And what do you do if that famous, you know, philosophical trolley problem, if some autonomous vehicle makes a choice, so to speak, saves some set of people and, and injures or, or even kills someone else, who is to blame? You know, who made that choice? It's really, these are thorny issues that I think we need to address immediately. Uh, there are, I think, articles you may have read about parts of the country in the United States where judges are, you know, their rulings or their sentences are influenced by algorithms or machine learning models that say, you know, this is the recidivism rate for this kind of person, whatever that means. This is the likelihood that this person will commit another crime. Here's what I recommend the sentence be. And if these programs, if these models are trained on biased data, they're going to produce biased results. And I think we just have to be very, very critical as we move forward and really think about the fact that while there's a huge amount of potential that these technologies unlock, it is very dangerous if used incorrectly. Yes, absolutely. Um, Eric, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. You ready for this? Sure. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? That's a great question. I was working in publishing uh, years ago, and I was on a team that basically handled the uh, metadata feeds for the various books in our ebook catalog, uh, and actually did some work on packaging ebooks. And I 
discovered we were going to start shipping ebooks with JavaScript enabled. So I must have done something like Googled, you know, you know learn JavaScript or something like that. And I found uh, Codecademy when they were brand new. I uh, started going through the tutorials. When I ran out of tutorials, I started writing some to prove to myself that I knew what I was doing. And uh, Codecademy eventually offered me a job writing course content. Through that, I spent a lot of time writing what are called submissions correctness tests, which I think to this date may be some of the hardest tests I've had to write, simply because they test that the user submitted an answer that uh, actually solved the, the problem in the REPL. And uh, if you're familiar with Codecademy or online learning tools like that, uh, people can kind of type anything that they want. <laughs> they yeah. can cause any kind of syntax error. They can make any, any kind of um, attempt. And uh, so that really uh, taught me about the edge cases in software. I became really fascinated with writing programs and, and, and building things. I started to do a little bit of feature work at Codecademy. And then I, I moved on to a program in New York called the Recurse Center, which at the time was called Hacker School, simply because Codecademy was a small team. Uh, I don't think they really had the resources to train somebody completely brand new. So I spent time at the Recurse Center getting much better at programming, building uh, web applications in Ruby and JavaScript. And, and that was really um, how I, I came into an IT career. And my first software engineering job was at a company called Rent the Runway uh, shortly after that. Right. How long did it take you to go through that process? So I was at Codecademy, I think, for just under a year. Yep. And then I spent about three months at the Recurse Center. So I think it was about a year it took from really only being a sort of feral self-taught programmer to somebody who had worked in, a, in an organization, had been exposed to agile methodologies, ways you know modern software is written, had really good mentors and teachers on that team, and then the opportunity to just uh, spend a lot of time focusing in pair programming uh, at the Recurse Center. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? I think it's got to be that it does not cost anything to be nice. I think especially in an industry like uh, tech, which is famous for sort of these brilliant jerks who get a lot of stuff done, but you know are, are sometimes aggressive or even toxic. I really don't subscribe to that methodology. I think you know whether you're genuinely altruistic or you just realize that sort of what goes around comes around and it's, it's better to have good karma than not. I truly believe that it doesn't cost anything to be nice and that the world is a small place. So it's, it's beneficial, I think, for everyone to be kind in addition to smart and driven. Yeah, I tend to agree. And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? This is a, an interesting one. I think it's got to be the notion that if you keep your head down and do good work, that people will recognize it uh, and that you'll be promoted or that you'll get into a role that you've always wanted. I think that good work is necessary but not sufficient for moving up and, and forward in your career. You know, if you're doing great work and not making any noises, like there's no real reason for someone to just kind of pop up and say, hey, this is great. You know, here's a, a promotion to the next level or here's a new project or a new role to take on. I, I really think that anyone who says if you do great work, everything else will take care of itself, maybe has some privilege or background that uh, a lot of us don't. I really think that in order to move forward in your career, you have to set goals. You have to be willing to perform the same experiments on your career that, you know, we would perform as A-B tests or things like that on, on products. You really need to be willing to take risks and, and do experiments to figure out what it is you want to do and then build a plan for moving forward uh, and work with your manager, work with your team. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you touched on the fact that obviously you need to make sure that people know what you're doing and the value you're adding, not just doing it in the background, but are there any particular things that you do personally to enable that to happen for you? It's a little bit different, I think, for engineers than for managers. I think when you're an individual um, engineer, it's 
really incumbent upon you to identify what you've been doing well, to make sure that you're working with your peers, that your sort of influence is seen on other teams in terms of the code that you write, the designs that you have. For managers, I think it's tricky because you want to make sure that your team is getting the credit and that when things are sort of going a, a little bit awry, you're there to uh, take responsibility. The idea being, you know, you sort of lead from the front in bad times and, and from the back in good times. For managers, I would say that influence muscle is less about uh, making sure people know what initiatives and projects are your responsibility. And it's more flexing that through your team. Like, is your team effective? Uh, is your team morale really high? Has your team managed to accomplish great things uh, with you leading it? And, you know, it's incredibly important to make sure that credit goes to the members of your team who are kind of in the trenches doing work. But I think people will see, you know, as you, as your team serves as an example to others, that part of the calculus is going to be, you're the leader of that team. And that makes a lot of the difference. Yes. So I think really it boils down to influence, to making sure that people are aware through strong communication channels of the work that you're doing and the general positive impact that you have on the team and the company. And if you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? You know, if I were doing it again and it were, say, 2004, I probably would do an undergraduate degree in in computer science. Uh, My undergraduate work was in philosophy. And I think doing the two of those together would have been both really interesting and and really valuable. I I didn't really realize how much I enjoyed computer science and programming until after I, I graduated. If I were starting over now in 2019, I think there are far more really amazing opportunities for autodidacts and for people with non-traditional backgrounds. There's the traditional path of the undergraduate degree in computer science. Uh, there are programs like the Recurse Center, which if I were starting now, I would have done much earlier as opposed to you know several years after graduating. For people who need more structure, there are sort of more boot camp type schools that you know offer a curriculum and, and mentors and teachers who have a very sort of one-on-one view into the work that you're doing and, and help you progress. But all this to say, I think I would just have gotten started much earlier. You know, I, I got started in programming when I was a kid, just, you know, building little websites and programming my TI-83 plus calculator and stuff like that. But I really think that, you know, I just would have, and not because I think that there's some value to people who program at the age of nine and that they are somehow much better than people who learn to program when they're 19 or 29. I, I don't think that's strictly true. I just think, you know, because I love it so much, I, I would have, you know, benefited from realizing it earlier in my life. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Sure. For the director of engineering role, a lot of that is translating sort of high-level vision from senior leadership into a strategy and then helping your teams chunk up that strategy into sort of executable increments of work. So really mastering that, um, continuing to get better at communication and, and sharing what my teams are working on both in terms of coordination and alignment, but also in terms of kind of raising people up and ensuring that everyone in the company can see the great work that they're doing and spending a lot of time um, preparing to participate in that higher level engineering vision, seeing what the, you know, the VPs in, in my company or the CTO is doing to kind of build that roadmap and spend a lot of time just learning what considerations they take into account and what uh, influences their decision making. Yes. Okay. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? It's got to be communication. Um, I was lucky that I studied, in addition to philosophy, uh, English language and literature. I've always been a strong writer. So being able to write clear communication, whether it's something as small as a Slack message during an incident saying, hey, you know, here's what's happening. Are you, can you help out? All the way through emails to executive leadership saying, here's what we're working on. Here's how it's moving the needle for." these various KPIs, or here's how it's benefiting the company, really being able to write clearly, speak effectively, 
and sort of modulate my tone and content depending on the audience has been critical. And I would strongly encourage anyone who has kind of thought, well, you know, communication is important, but I'm, you know, an extraordinary programmer, or I'm, I'm very strong in these technical areas. You know, I don't, I don't super have to know this. I would say, please spend time on communication. It is critical and it will really make the difference in your career. Communication comes up quite a lot. Um, in terms of the way that you communicate with different groups of people, do you vary the way you do it? Not only in the, in the medium or the method, but also the way you pitch it? Of course. Yeah. If I'm speaking to the CTO of the company, it's going to be very different than if I'm speaking to the CEO. You know, The CTO may have a lot of concerns about the individual technologies involved, about risk mitigation, about how we're going to scale. The CEO may also say, you know, I'm, I'm interested in scaling, but Really, it's more about, you know, how is the technology that we're choosing driving the business forward? Maybe they indirectly care about the very detailed risks that a particular technology poses in terms of trade-offs. But what they really are asking is, how is this going to drive business value? How is this going to make the business better? And what are the risks that we would have to mitigate? So kind of taking these different lenses, thinking about what your audience cares about and using that to tailor your message, I think is critical. Exactly. Yeah. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? Sure. I really enjoy attending conferences. I think conference attendance is a really good way to meet people, to get a sense of what people are working on, to kind of rekindle friendships, to get a better understanding of trends in the technology space that you're in. Um, I spend a lot of time at Ruby conferences like RubyConf, uh, RailsConf, and RubyKaiyi. I'm an introvert. I tend to have my batteries drained by talking to people. And RubyConf, uh, RailsConf, RubyKaiyi are some of the rare exceptions where I can talk to somebody all day and just still feel really energized, both uh, as an individual and as, as an engineer and as a, an engineering leader. So uh, I find that conference attendance above and beyond just attending talks is a huge way to kind of um, keep yourself feeling energized and to learn new things and to continue to grow. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Oh, boy, I, I wish I had more of it. Um, <laughs> so I have an <laughs> almost 18 month old. So, so being dad, I think, is, is most, of, most of my free time. But yes, uh, I, I really enjoy reading. I try to get to the gym pretty frequently. I studied a, a couple different martial arts when I was younger, uh, and I'd really like to get back into it. Uh, I did Taekwondo uh, in high school and college. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, and then I studied um, Kung Fu when I lived in New York. So I'd, I'd love to get back into either one of those or, or start something new just because it really provides a lot of time to reflect. Um, I, I found it was really good at kind of structuring my thought process, and it's great exercise. So I'd, I'd love to start doing that again. Exactly. Something like Taekwondo as well. It's There's a combination of obviously the concentration, but there's a natural outlet as well, isn't there, with the, with the action and the, and the way you do things and the different combinations of moves and so forth. Exactly. And Eric, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? Sure. I, I think really what it comes down to, and I think the other advice I have is sort of touches on this, is that it's about people, right? Our industry is nominally about technology, but it's really about people and putting people first. And this, I think, has multiple dimensions, you know, whether it's thinking about the fact that really loyalty is for humans, you know, not for organizations. It's nice to feel some loyalty for your company. But, you know, if times are tough, and your company needs to let people go, the abstract company is not going to feel bad about that. Your manager will feel bad, your peers will feel bad. And so I'll say, you know, loyalty is, is for humans, right? Uh, and I, I would say spending time thinking about your human relationships, uh, not just the work that you're doing is critical. Like I said, being good, um, the world is a small place and jerks get found out very quickly. So it's both, I think, just intrinsically good for people to do, but also I think from a career perspective, it's critical. You know, we're all in this together. There's a sort of a saying, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Uh, so if you really want to yes. go far, 
all I can say is, you know, you're going to want to pick a solid team to go with you. And finally, Eric, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? Sure. I'm online uh, on Twitter, on GitHub. My handle is usually Eric Q Weinstein. So it's E-R-I-C-Q as in Quebec and then Weinstein. And I'm always happy to, you know, read tweets. I'm always happy to get email. Email is just eric.q.weinstein at gmail. Uh, And I look forward to talking to anybody who, you know, is listening and would love to learn more about how to advance their career. Eric, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Oh, likewise. Thanks again for having me. A quick thank you again to my guest on today's show for sharing their career tips, advice and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e and then the number of today's episode. Now that there are three new episodes of the show every week, make sure that you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss out. And don't forget to join the new IT Career Energizer community group in Facebook. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would be great to hear from you and to learn about your own career journey, your successes, opinions, and thoughts on the future of the industry. Thanks for supporting the show. And remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.